Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Let me say another good morning. Glad you're here uh, to worship the Lord together. I want to begin by asking you to join me in Ephesians chapter 1. May be a little difficult to read along with me, so if you want to take notes, you can do that and go back and check. Uh, Make sure I'm not telling you something that Scripture doesn't say. The whole purpose of this series is what does the Bible say about, and so that's that's the goal, is not my opinions. I don't want that to be our takeaway, but more what, what are the reasonable applications from Scripture. So while it may be difficult for some of you to read your Bible, the reason that the lights are low, not only today but often, is to try to minimize distractions. When you have a crowd uh, very big, uh, every little thing, every little movement, people coming and going, uh, really is very distracting to those around. And, uh, and so we want to try to set the stage for some of that. Uh, so I hope that, you know, if you, if you have your phone and it's on silent, that you feel free to take, take notes on that if you would like uh, and go back and see what the Holy Spirit might have to say uh, through your own notes. I have found that oftentimes the Lord may speak more through your notes than he does through mine. And uh, so I want to make, make sure you take opportunity to do that. Ephesians chapter 1 And beginning in verse 3, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning uh, throughout our time together. Uh, But there we begin, in love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So we know that while we are not adopted or predestined to uh, salvation, where God chooses some people to be saved and and damns other people, the truth of what Ephesians chapter 1 says is that God chose beforehand, predestined us to be adopted through sonship in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, it says, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 18, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ up from the dead. What he is saying here very simply is is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the exact same power that raises us up from death unto life. Yes, we've proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but for those who are already in Jesus Christ, it is the same power that resurrected us from death unto life. Which is the beauty of baptism where we are dead in our sin and we are buried in Christ and we are resurrected. And the the power that is in us, the identity that we are now in Christ is the same power to heal and transform our lives as it was to bring Christ out of the the tomb. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece, some translations say. This word is actually a very interesting word. It, it's, it's the Greek word poema, which is where we get our word poem, which is a literary masterpiece of the author. So when we think about who we are in Jesus Christ, who we are and who we have become transformed by the power of the grace of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of the cross, we have been preordained to be sons of the King. Lest we forget who we are and act like mere humans. Poema. When God looks at us that are now in Christ Jesus, He sees His masterpieces. God has a trophy shelf. And we're sitting on it. as the apple of His eye. And if we forget that, if we forget who we really are in Him, there's no telling how deep and how dark we can live. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. <laughs> We're not just transformed, we are adopted. Not just adopted, we are sons. Not just sons, but confident sons and daughters of our Creator. You and I just need to know and be reminded this morning that we can approach the throne of God with absolute freedom and confidence because of Jesus. But many won't. Many people who claim to be Christians won't come confidently before the throne of grace. Won't accomplish the good works that the resurrection of Jesus Christ afford us. Won't see themselves as sons and daughter of the Most High. Won't live into the preordained good works that Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world was laid ordained that we do. Why? Because we are absolutely paralyzed with sin. Sin that we have compartmentalized. Sin that we keep in our own little secret boxes. That on days like today, we can be completely unaware that exists. But as soon as we're alone, as soon as we're distracted, begins to call our name and call ourselves in back into that darkness. Forgotten sin, hidden sin, secret sin. Sin that no one... You think no one else knows, but I'm telling you, it has a fuse on it. And the fuse was lit a long time ago, and it is set to explode, and you cannot control the explosion. 
Scripture says many times, be sure of this one thing, you can be sure that if you, if you live in sin, it will be found out. It will be exposed. You say, well, I guess if you do anything long enough, people will find out about it. That's not what, that's not what Scripture's talking about. What Scripture's talking about is God himself will expose you. Oh, it's sin of the past. I don't struggle with it anymore. I've asked forgiveness for it. I haven't done it in a while. But how many times have you said to the Lord, I can't believe here I am again. Lord, if I've ever meant it, I mean it this time. Lord, help me to never be back in this place again. And over and over and over, our Christian life is lived out with, I'll never do that again. Listen, most Christians live that way. And all it does is absolutely paralyze the resurrection power that is within each and every one of us. Paralyzes us. We call ourselves Christians, but we don't act like Christ. At least not when we're alone. But there are things we do and things we think that we hope nobody ever knows. You know, those secret things. How do I know? Because I'm a mere human too. As long as, in the, as long as sin stays in secret places, it will have a life. And it will always call out your name, whatever it may be. We are rich in Christ, but we've settled to live in the sewer. Jesus is better. If you look at all of Scripture, you will see that. But especially when you get to the book of Hebrews, you will see Jesus is better Whatever you're looking for, whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're hoping for, He is better than all of your emptiness and all of your satisfaction. Everything that you hope to accomplish in life, Jesus is better. Everything that you're trying your best to run from and are stuck to, Jesus is better. He's better than clinging to any sin. He's better than clinging to your false, fake, lying credibility. Jesus is better. And whatever the consequences of it may be that come out of the secret. If you begin to have to deal with some things and, and expose some of those things, I'm telling you, whatever it is that is keeping you in the dark, Jesus is better. Better than what? I don't know. You fill in the blank. Think about the very best thing. Jesus is better. Our greatest addiction should be the power and the presence and the promises of Jesus Christ. But for many of us in this room, we don't walk in that truth. And one of those things I want to talk about today, it was by far and away the most asked question of all of the spring and continued to flood in all of the summer. What does the Bible say about pornography? For many of us in this room, we don't live in the truth of God's Word. For many of us in this room, we become numb to the truth because we live in a hyper-sexualized, pornified culture conditioning us to, at best, to be neutral. And because of our own secret sin, we become passive to it. Afraid to speak. 
Afraid to be found out. Afraid to be too strong on thus saith the Lord because if I'm too strong, somebody might look at my browser history. So I'd better just sit here to keep my mouth shut. Whatever you do, you do. And whatever I do, I'll do. At worst, it conditions us to enjoy it. Engage in it. Excuse it. Tell ourselves it's no big deal. It's a victimless crime. A victimless sin. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Paul is talking to Christians here. Whom you have received from God, you do not belong to yourself. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And for whatever reason, we want to keep our Christianity in our soul. But the Lord says very clearly over and over, if we are transformed, we are transformed in our spirit, in our mind, and in our bodies. In every part we are should look like Jesus Christ. Not when we're just at church. But every moment of every day. Flee sexual sin. Here's why. Every sin in Scripture, He tells us to cut out, put off, get rid of. Except sexual sin. Every time sexual sin is mentioned, it's flee. Why? It's so much stronger than you are. It will always win. And I don't care how old you get, you'll never be able to kill it. I know a lot of, no, pardon me, I'm going to be pretty frank this morning. I know a lot of old people who try to convince young people that they don't deal with that anymore. Garbage. Ain't nobody buying it anymore. You can't get away from it. Flee. Flee. You think you know more than the Lord who is telling us? It'll never go away. But, but, we can flee every time it manifests. In fact, we must flee because it's everywhere. And you can't just flee when you're aware of it. We must flee even when we're not aware of it because Satan has a way of making it pop out of nowhere. And there it is before it's too late. Average age of kids nowadays who see pornography for the very first time, 10 years old. It's always an accident, the first view on the internet. You know that if you're a 10-year-old, there's like an 80% increase of you being exposed to pornography than if you're an adult. You think Satan's not smarter than we are? Now, number one, he's already got adults. But number two, this stuff is everywhere. If you're letting your kids have access to screens in private, I almost will, 82% chance they've already seen it. But they ain't going to tell you about it because it is immediately a secret. Some of us here today are incredibly uncomfortable listening to this because of the subject. It's been taboo. We shouldn't talk about it. As I told you last, last week, every sin, sexual sin that exists today of any sort, 
is only standing on the shoulders of this one. Maybe you wonder why we're talking about this issue. After all, it's not really that big of a deal. In fact, talking about it very much will only make it worse. Right? I get why that would be a concern. Maybe the church shouldn't talk about the things Scripture talks about. Or maybe the reason the church doesn't talk about these things is because the church is wrapped up with it too. We used to believe in biblical morality. I remember those days. I remember reading about those days. You know, the blue laws. The laws where even the town drunk went to church. Even the town drunk knew what was right or what was wrong. And everybody that had sin at least kept it hidden in, the, in their own life. Because they had this idea of, well, we know what the Bible teaches. That's biblical morality. Which is morali- morality derived from Scripture itself. But in the mid-50s, we took a step into a biblical morality. Some things are right or wrong. Only based upon what culture says about them. And then we shifted into immorality, which was, I know what's right or wrong, but I don't care. And now we're dealing with amorality, which is, there's no such thing as right or wrong. You have your truth, I have my truth. And if you want to talk about truth coming from Scripture, then all we have to do is just diminish our view of Scripture and say, that's an old book. Oh, it's written by old people. Oh, that's not for today. Oh, that was cultural. Oh, this, this, this. As long as we can get rid of it, then we don't have to worry about biblical morality or thus saith the Lord. The only sin in society today is to tell someone else what sin is. It's going to be difficult to imagine. It's and really, to be honest with you, it's impossible to fathom these numbers that I'm about to give you. But let me find, uh, provide for you some substantial evidence to just show how pervasive this issue really is. And I only do this not to make it a bigger deal than it really is, only to show those of us who struggle with pornography or sexual sin, because I know what Satan's lie is. I know that he's going to tell you that nobody will ever know. And I know as soon as you do it, he's going to say, everybody's going to find out. And, and he's going to make you feel like you're all alone. Nobody else will understand. Everybody else will hate me. And he just keeps us encapsulated in this little ball of fear. So really, what I want to do is I just want to out it today. And I want to expose it for what it really is. And I really want all of us at the end of this to be able to go... I'm not alone. Let's deal with this beast together in a safe place. I'm only going to talk today, and I'm not going to give any references to specific uh, pornographic websites because I don't want you to go, I don't want you to know them. (laughs) Uh, And so uh, I'm not going to to give credibility to those, but uh, I will speak of the most popular one not by name. So concerning this number, this number one site, and the reason that I want, I want to be a little bit more specific is because did you know that there are 4.5 million pornographic websites? Half of them are located in America. 
that nuts? Four and a half million websites. 30% of the internet is dedicated to pornography. One site, this one site, has over 100 billion videos. In 2018, that particular site saw an increase of women participating and pursuing pornography. 29% increase. I mean, total. That's a 7% increase from the previous year. And, and we used to talk about softcore pornography. Well, softcore pornography is that it's in commercials now. Nobody, nobody even cares about softcore pornography anymore. Now it is extreme content is the new normal. Soft porn uh, has disappeared. And physical aggression, that means violence, is in 88.2% of pornography. Did you know what the number one fastest growing genre of pornography is? Incest. It's the fastest growing type of pornography. 43% of America now say that pornography is morally acceptable. That's seven, up 7% seven from just last year. 80% of pornography worldwide is found from smartphones and tablets. That's why, web, that's why designers know that if they want to sell their product, they have to make screens bigger. Every minute on this one website, there are 63,999 new visitors. Every minute, 64,000 new people being exposed to this one site. 12 new videos and 2 hours of content are uploaded every minute. Several years ago, there was a, 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 the industry's biggest provider claimed that their site streamed 75 gigabytes of data per second last year. That's enough to fill 175 million 16 gigabyte iPhones per second. Eighty-seven percent of college-aged men, thirty percent of college-aged women double-click for sex either weekly or every day. Last year, that particular site boasted thirty point three billion visits. That's eighty-three million a day. 3.5 million per hour, 58,000 per minute, 961 per second. According to Barna, it's 51% of Christian men and 16% of Christian women admitted to looking at pornography regularly. Of all children that are below the age of 18, only 12% of their parents are aware of their pornography. 
I know you think you know what your kids are looking at. You don't. I know that you know their heart and they will tell you everything. They won't. They're trapped. Of those 18 and under, listen to this, this is just unbelievable. 18 and under, 10 and under make up 22% of people 18 and under that are looking at pornography on the internet. Pornography websites get more visitors every month than Netflix, Amazon, Twitter combined. It makes more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the National Hockey League, Major League Soccer, and NASCAR combined. According to a massive research project through Barna Research, most church-attending people believe that pornography is bad for society. That's good news. The bad news is 51% of men in church are using it. Sadly, though, the younger the age that was surveyed, the more shift there was toward either neutrality or good for society among younger generations. Listen to this. This is unbelievable. Teens and young adults have encouraging or accepting conversations about porn. When they talk about porn with friends, 89% of teens and 95% of young adults say they do so in a neutral, accepting, or encouraging way. That means that 1 out of 20 young adults and only 1 in 10 teens say that their friend thinking, friends think viewing pornography is actually a bad thing. Teens and, and young adults, listen to me. This is... I don't want us pointing fingers. I just want you to, I'm not, we're not pointing fingers at generations. What I want to do is I want us to see the trajectory that we're headed. That's the important thing here. Teens and young adults view not recycling as more immoral than viewing pornography. 32% say that viewing porn is usually or always wrong compared to 56% who say not recycling is usually or always wrong. Pornography has typically been a man's domain for whatever reason. It's a sense of greater virility or vitality or masculinity. But its usage among young women is becoming more and more common. Much of is due to the pressure of the hypersensualized dating culture. Some is due to the desire and what they are finding it, that more and more women are pursuing pornography because they want to know what they're up against and how they have to compete for a man's attention sexually. Teenage girls and young women are significantly more likely to actively seek out pornography than women over the age of 25, which is actually similar to men. 
However, more than half of women, 25 and under, will seek out porn. That's 56% compared to 27% among women, 25 plus. One-third seek it out at least monthly. That's 33% of women are seeking it out monthly. According to that website I was talking about early, earlier, they are estimating that of those visits to their website, 25% of those now are women. Say, so, you know, Pastor, you need to just mind your own business. Well, I am. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with, your, with her eyes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. We, we know not to commit adultery. We know that it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. We know that. We've known that. You say, you know, keep your biblical morality to yourself. No, listen, you don't need biblical morality. The Bible says that God has placed those things upon our heart. We know it. Our, we know that our conscience provokes us. We know that before we first started stepping into those things, we wrestled with whether or not it was right or wrong. We felt guilty, but then all of a sudden we got some sort of permission, and we don't feel guilty about those things anymore. It's because we knew the truth, but we suppressed the truth. Scripture is very clear how that works. But Jesus said, you know not to commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Listen, I know that we can give ourselves an exempt and say, well, I'm not out at the mall and I'm not sitting out in the road and I'm not being abusive and I'm not, you know, attacking people. No, Jesus said if you just look, you've already committed adultery in your heart. We give ourselves a pass because we're the only one who knows what we look at. But you know what? We're not the only ones who know what we look at. God knows what we look at. You know, there's somebody else who can watch us, that does watch us, knows what our appetites look like. And that's Satan, our real enemy. He watches what you glance at. He watches what you're focused on. Oh, you can convince us you don't have a problem. Satan knows. And it's just like in your history, whatever you visit the most, and there's all these algorithms that'll help you, you know, narrow your focus. Uh, whatever it is that you're interested in most, those are the things that just want to start. Anybody ever been talking about a song and then get online or, or, or be shopping for something on Amazon and then go to Facebook and all of a sudden you start seeing this stuff? It works the same way. It's the same thing that happens. Amazon's smart enough to do it. Facebook's smart enough to do it. Satan knows what you look at. Guess what he's going to put more and more in front of your face? The things that you keep looking at that nobody else is aware of what you look at. His goal isn't just to paralyze you his goal is to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life he can't affect your salvation but he can sure affect the power of the resurrection inside of you how does porn affect us well give me a little grace this morning because I want to I don't want to just throw percentages and statistics at you, but I do want you to understand why it is so dangerous, all right? So, again, if you take notes, I I encourage you to do so. Uh, I'm not here to preach at you, uh, not by any means. You ever heard of adrenaline? 
Yeah, so adrenaline, most of us have heard of adrenaline. It's a hormone that's, that's in, uh, produced in the body in moments of intense stress, whether it's good or whether it's bad. It actually increases the rate of blood circulation. And you do this when, like, you have bungee jumping or skydiving or swimming with crocodiles or, or, or running away from an enraged bull or, or maybe being called on to pray in public. I mean, like, really scary things. <laughs> All these things to be crazy, but, you know, people can actually become, you know, uh, they, they want that. And it's because of the adrenaline rush that flows through us. And when we get off, when we get off of a roller coaster ride, we immediately, how do I replace that? I, I need that. It was awesome, you know, and we're screaming while we're on it. All of that is adrenaline that's being pumped through the body. But it's not really adrenaline. It's something that's, that's coursing through our veins at the same time, and it's called dopamine. Now, dopamine is another chemical. It's a hormone that releases when we are releasing adrenaline. It is a chemical responsible for sending messages between the brain and the different nerve cells of the body. It is what science calls the reward activator. It controls the, the pleasure center of our brain while encouraging us to engage in thrill-seeking activities. Dopamine. Now, the action that we are... Now, nobody gets addicted to roller coasters, but we do get addicted to the feeling. It's like people say, I don't understand it at all, but people get addicted to running. People get addicted to exercise because they, they begin to... They produce, they're producing things that make them feel good, and they... And they enjoy that, that, that feeling of the rush. Now, nobody has to know what, a do what dopamine does to experience the high of dopamine. But it, the action may not produce the addiction, but the body produces the hormones. It's like, uh, it's like you hear people say you can't get addicted to marijuana. That's true. Except you can get addicted to how you feel when you are high. Because you are under stress and your body is releasing those, uh, uh, the adrenaline, which also includes dopamine. And we love the feeling of dopamine. We love it. Can't get enough of it. It's like one of God's greatest gifts to us is when we find something that we enjoy doing, it's like, boy, I'm just going to make that a little better than it really is. And so, while someone may be high on marijuana, they're not addicted to the substance, but they're addicted to the result of that substance. You've, I know that you've heard people smoking dope. Dope is not the marijuana. Dope is the dopamine release. We love it. You ever heard somebody who may be younger than us or maybe older than us, depending on how old you are, but when something goes great and it just sends this thrill for us, we go, man, that is so dope. Because it releases dopamine to tell our pleasure center of our brain how great, great of an experience it was. So we become addicted to dope for various sources, whether it's sex or whether it's violence and we like domination, or whether it's food, or whether it's any other selfish pleasure, drugs. Dopamine is a gift from God. And that's why God is so clear as to what's permissible in His will and what is forbidden in His will. If you will seek out God and His will and you experience the pleasure of His glory, it releases dopamine and we love 
to be in the center of His will, His presence, His promises, His power. There's thrill, extra thrill. But your body doesn't know the difference. And so when you do the forbidden things that your hidden darkness loves to do, when you do it in the dark or when you do it in front of a screen or when you do it and hoping nobody will ever find out, there is this rush. Your body doesn't know not to get addicted to Jesus over here. All it knows is to do what its creator told it to do, and that is to flood the rush. Let's move on. Now, this is a little bit boring. If you don't like science, this is super boring. But I want to kind of walk you through what that looks like, okay? So, there are three things about our brain that I want us to talk about. And they are very interesting. You say, well, I thought this was what the Bible says. It is. Our Creator actually made us this way. So, this is not in the Bible, but He does give us the directions for this. We obviously don't care about what His Word says. Maybe we'll recognize this when we see that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The first thing I want to talk about is the nucleus accumbens, the, the NAC. That is the pleasure center of the brain. We've already talked about that. That's where the body processes. Was this a good experience or a bad experience? The second thing that I want to talk about is the ventral tegmental area. That's the dopamine factory. That's where this was good or this was bad. I'm loving it, right? Uh, dopamine factory. And then you have the, the, the PFC. That's the prefrontal cortex. That's the memory bank. That's where we learn to make decisions based on our memories or our future. Now, the bad news is we create habits based upon chemical uh, releases. Again, fearfully and wonderfully made. Feelings that are triggered in these three areas. In other words, we want more, more, more. We can go a little bit. You know, you don't have to just live in that dopamine. You don't have to live with adrenaline. You can go for days, weeks, months. But then something triggers it, and it's like this, oh, yeah, I want more. Just an insatiable appetite for it. So any habit that develops in our lives, whether it's good or it's bad, we begin to carve out pathways in our brain. And what will happen is we will begin to bypass. It creates shortcuts between the pleasure center and the dopamine factory. And what it does is it hijacks or creates a, it requires less work for the prefrontal cortex. So I want the rush and over time the rush goes straight to the pleasure center and it hijacks the memories and the decision making. This is why we become insane when it comes to fighting our addiction. It's our, our, our brain, our processes, our chemicals no longer go through the ability to make good decisions. We become stupid. And we can't count the consequences. We can't consider the risk. We don't think through it. We don't say, what happened to me last time? What am I afraid of if I get found out? We blow right past it because we've created a shortcut to I want it, I'll get it. God created us that way. So that in, when we are obeying His will and we're making good godly decisions and we're living within His will, we don't have to process everything all the time. There's a shortcut. 
We can live in the pleasure of His presence or in the pleasure of our family or in the pleasure of His Word. But we've hijacked that. How many of you have ever looked at your kids and say, did you not think about... I didn't even... I mean, we look at kids like they're idiots, honestly. Did you not even think... I didn't even know to think. Because I've short-circuited my ability to make a good decision. We've all done that. The bad news is, we give ourselves a pass that we don't give anybody else. Every other organ in the body, no other, I should say, no other organ in the body can change its specific function. The heart cannot decide to change its function or we die. The lungs cannot make a decision to change its function or we die. The brain can change its function. It can rewire itself. What a special gift that is from the Lord. Because no matter where you are, this is a pretty bleak message. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I've sabotaged my brain. I'm in a I'm in a trap. I can't get out of it. I don't even want to get out of it. The rush of the pleasure is so much better than the work that it takes to live holy. Here's good news. Your brain can rewire itself. I want to talk about another chemical, though, before we move on. We've talked about two We've talked about adrenaline. We've talked about dopamine. Now I want to talk about oxytocin. Okay? It's the most important chemical that we're going to talk about today. It's actually known as the love hormone. Or, or, or more scientifically, if that one's too bold, uh, the bonding hormone. Okay? It is most commonly found uh, and known for its effect between mothers and their children during breastfeeding. That's the chemical release during that event. And it helps moms and children bond in a very, very close way that never goes away. But listen, and this is a little bit, I want you to hear me very, very clearly. Oxytocin, while it is tremendously powerful to bond people, it also has an incredible dark side. It is incredibly selfish. I know that you've heard of mama bears, right? How many are in here right now? Anybody? Let me make fun of your kids and see how many of you there are, right? There's a lot of us mama bears. You know why the mama bears? It's because of oxytocin. Because when something, when oxytocin bonds to someone, it not only loves the thing that it bonds to, but it begins to get very aggravated and aggressive toward anything that it's not bound to. Everything else becomes an enemy. And it becomes very territorial. So everyone outside of my group or my clique is an intruder. When I keep secrets, everyone outside of my secret is an enemy. So, let's make this relevant to today. If you are viewing and using pornography, you are emitting oxytocin, 
and you are bonding to images on a computer screen. When you are bonding to images on a computer screen or your cell phone or wherever it may be that you're getting that information, you are not bonding with something else that you are called and commanded to bond to. Therefore, whether you know it or not, you become aggressive against your spouse. You argue, you belittle, you find every reason to complain, and you don't know why. You become arrogant, you become controlling, you become territorial, you become paranoid, you become obsessive, you become compulsive, because these attachments are so strong, and we tell ourselves, I can stop anytime, I don't have a problem. You may not have a problem, but your chemistry doesn't know that you don't have a problem. It's bonded, and it's firm, and it's false, and it's robbing you of intimacy with everybody else around you, especially your family. Instead of being bound to the ones that you were created to have bonds, and I know I'm not going to be, I'm not going to pick on people. I really have prayed and prayed and prayed. I don't want to do that, but. Fellas, ladies, if that's appropriate, when you begin to see, why am I so tense? Why am I so... You might not need to look any further than your addiction. What you're bonding to, where your dopamine is rushing to, what causes you the stress release. And Satan is all too willing to put it in front of you all the time. And ladies, again, ask the questions if you will. But if you've ever wondered, why is my husband acting like this? Why does he act like he hates me now? Why, why, why? I'm not saying that that's the only reason for that. But I am saying that is a huge, huge red flag. And, when, and, and for those who are affected, when these things begin to happen to us one by one, your convictions will begin to change. Your convictions will try to protect your secrets. Your convictions will begin to protect your secrets. Your habits will begin to change. Your attitudes will change. Your defenses will change. Your friends will change. What you do with your time will change. Your obedience to God will change. Your defense of God will change. What you will tolerate becomes what you will accept. And what you accept is what you'll begin to promote. And you'll make excuses for I had it all wrong all along. Now I really believe this. And all we're doing is trying to protect our sin. Not intentionally. It's the way the Lord told us it was going to work. Listen to Romans chapter 1. And I want you to listen to it a little bit differently than the way we've ever talked about it before. And I'm going to highlight some things as we go through it. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. I want you to see this step system of a person and of culture. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is the wrath of God. And if you're thinking lightning bolts, you're thinking too strong. Okay? The wrath of God doesn't come in lightning bolts. The wrath of God comes with permission. 
Can you imagine a more egregious thing for God to do than just release us? A lightning bolt would be awesome because then we would know. The wrath of God is fine. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, right? This is by their actions of unrighteousness suppress the truth, which means truth can be known, but we hold it down to fit our unrighteousness. Our truth, listen, as willingly disobedient as we can be, our righteousness will never grow higher than our sin. So, wherever you are in sin and obedience to God, that's where your righteousness is. So, that kind of makes sense. Well, that's true, but your righteousness may not be the full where it's supposed to be. And the reason that it doesn't continue to grow is your righteousness and your Christ-likeness will only rise as high as your sin. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to, to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. No one will ever be able to stand before God and say, I didn't know better. If you've never heard the name of Jesus, you know better. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So the first step is when we reduce the truth, suppress the truth, hold the truth back in our life. We do that with secret sin. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. That's the next step. Suppressing the truth futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's step three. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's the next one. Exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, here's the next one. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they changed, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature. Me, my lust, my passion, my eyes, my desires. Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, suppression, darkness, foolishness. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, 
God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all malice of unrighteousness. Now listen, this is not about one particular sin. This is a progression of suppressing the truth and tolerating my own sin. This is how we get there. One step to another. The last step is not an intentional step. It's a progression from just refusing to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We begin to tolerate and accept and embrace all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Two thousand years ago, the Lord gave us that. and says, here's what happens when you begin to tolerate sin in your life. Here's what happens, church, when you begin to allow things in your life that creates distractions and desires and you keep things in secret. You didn't, end up, you didn't intend to end up there. And many of us are there right now and think that we chose. We give ourselves a pat on the back. We are enlightened. Verse 22 says, you think you are so much wiser now. Do you not know that your wisdom is proof of the wrath of God? Keep giving yourself hearty approval and acceptance. And keep standing in the gap for those others who are looking for hearty acceptance of their sin. It is only proof of a debased mind. That the Lord has turned us over to let us pursue those things that we are naturally predisposed to. What you see, you will accept. What you accept, you will normalize. And then defend. It's not proof of evolutionary thought. Of enlightenment. It's proof of the wrath of God. Though it is sin acted out through the body, it is connected to the soul. Viewing pornography is not a sex problem. It's a soul problem. It's a heart, it's a heart issue. Scripture is very clear about that. If you want to fight pornography from the sexual side of it, you won't get very far. Because you'll only be able to hold that off for so long. Pornography is a heart issue. Like every other sexual sin. It's a heart issue. Satan's sex is always going to be one-dimensional, physical. It may not start physical, but that will always be the go-to. God's gift of sex is three-dimensional. God wants us to enjoy sex in our bodies, in our spirits, and in our souls, our, our minds, the intimacy, the decision-making part of us. 
Sex has evolved from being God's gift to a God itself. There was a time when God once defined mankind. Now sex defines mankind. It has become a God and we are worshiping idols. Why do I share these things with you? Because I want us to realize the scale of this issue. The reality is that the enemy has been quietly and slowly releasing a weapon into our marriages, into our families, into our children. It is a weapon of mass destruction under the label of sexual liberation. We have finally arrived. We are free. The truth of the matter is we are stuck and we are trapped. And the church has even lost its voice. Pornography is so quiet, it's under the radar, destroying the heart of God's people. Nobody is immune to it because it's destroying the heart of the family, the husbands, the fathers, the sons, the grandsons, destroys our marriages and our children. And that those are the foundation of society and certainly the backbone of the church. And as a result, it is quietly under the radar destroying and ravaging the support and the nurturers of the family. The wives and the mothers and the daughters and the granddaughters. Pornography wants to be kept in the dark. And monsters live in the dark. The Apostle Paul is addressing Believers who live in a very, very sexualized and sinful culture. And after reminding them of how rich and blessed they are in Christ, Paul warns them of the dangers around them. Back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking... They were Gentiles. It'd be easy if he were speaking in the Old Testament and say, Jews, you should live like Jews. These are not Jews. These are Gentiles living in Ephesus. And he says, no, no, no. The goal is not to live like Jews. And the goal is not to live like Gentiles. You need to live like Christians. Christ people. Kingdom people. They are living, don't live like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. So wait a minute, impurity and greed? The word greed just simply means to excess, craving more and more and more. So we're talking about every kind of impurity where they cannot be satisfied. More and more and more. That, however, is not, this is verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So Paul reminds them of who they once were and who they are now in Christ. And he continues in chapter 5, verse 3. But among you there must not even be a hint 
of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. That word sexual immorality, impurity, is the Greek word porneia. Sound familiar? It's used throughout Scripture to describe adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, orgies, prostitution, rape. Pornea is where we get our word pornography. Could it be that 2,000 years ago the exact words that Paul used was no accident? 2,000 years later, all of the pornea that is at our fingertips and two clicks away for our children is to discover adulterous intercourse, homosexual intercourse, intercourse with animals, incestual intercourse, the fastest growing. One of the top four searched for key words in pornography, one of the top four is stepmom. Well, that reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a guy's rebuked for having sex with his stepmom. This isn't new. This is ancient. Orgies. Encourages prostitution, laced with aggressive depictions of rape. Even to the point where they are convincing young men that while women pretend that they don't want to be raped, there is pleasure in that for them. You say, who would believe that? And I know you think it's innocent right now. I know you sit behind the secrecy of your phone or your computer screen and nobody will ever find out about it. But I'm telling you, if Scripture tells us anything, there is a progression. Because your dopamine will need more. Your dopamine will need more. It's greedy. Looking for other outlets. But now, you can have, with keywords, type in whatever tailor-made, personalized electronic device you have. We become so too dependent upon. And with the increased privatization comes far less accountability and very few accountable conversations. You know, get online and find privacy screens so that, you know, if you're not looking right directly at it, you can't see what your neighbor's looking at. Hidden apps. Vaults on your phone so you can hide things from your parents or hide things from your kids all hoping to avoid the consequences nothing is hidden from God and with far less accountability it's no wonder why so many of God's people even from godly families have fallen prey to this so, so sexual sin in the life of a believer demands one of two things Number one, it demands secrets. Sexual sin will always demand secrets in our lives. Secrets. Things that we hope no one will ever find out about. And when we pour our energy and our passion into protecting our dark secrets, we turn into someone that we never could have imagined. Just a shell of ourselves. A shell of who God wants us to be. And the longer the secret... The number, number we become to our own lies. Romans chapter 1 says we start by being blind to it. We start excusing it. 
by the time we get to verse 22, it says you actually think you're smarter than everybody else. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. We grow so hollow on the inside, never feeling like we are fully ourselves. Our culture glamorizes sexual sin and encourages men and women to explore all sexual fantasies because, after all, it's only natural. Our pornified culture will encourage dark secrets because we're told it will be worth it. But let me tell you what's worth it. Jesus is better. All that he has for you is better. Sexual sin will demand secrets. And before you know it, you start defending. Listen, pornography is just not, not typing something into Google to satisfy your lustful fleshly needs. And I know a lot of people would say, well, I'm not really addicted to porn. Well, you may not be addicted to porn, but you're scrolling through images on social media slow to turn the channel I think we would be careful we say well at least it's not a naked body there's naked parts of bodies for some reason we're not too offended by that but we should be I'm offended because it's Satan laying down a trap I've been trapped before I've been trapped before I know he's traps you do too The music we listen to, the vulgar songs. Think, I think, if think about this. I've been thinking about this all week long. Did you know that when Friends came out, I'm going to use this as an illustration again. I thought we talked with our parents on uh, our kids' parents on Wednesday night about some of these things. But when Friends came out, I don't know how long has that been. 25 years ago. I know that's hard to believe, but NBC sent out a survey and said. Uh, would you be offended? Would you still like Monica if she had a one-night stand? They were afraid that if people caught Monica having a one-night stand, that America would go, oh, that hussy, we're not watching that show anymore. Well, guess what? America was okay with it. Apparently, really okay with it. And so, it began to be tolerated. But boy, when Ellen came out, we hated Ellen DeGeneres. And then before long, we begin to applaud shows like Will and Grace. And we don't even bat an eye at the things of the previous generation. Then we started saying, well, we're not going to watch that because it's too much. So we just go back one level and watch this now. And now we're talking about struggles with cross-dressing and, and children acting out homosexuality. We're going to boycott all that, but we watch people living and acting out premarital sex like it's Sesame Street in 25 years Fred and Wilma Flintstone cartoons couldn't sleep in the same bed together and now we have no convictions about premarital sex we have devalued marriage almost all the way to where it's laughable God forgive us and we act like we're enlightened we just keep suppressing the truth and it just keeps revealing our unrighteousness and it just keeps, God just keeps letting us. In chapter 1 of the book of Romans, he's not talking about a person there. He's talking about a culture. He's talking about America. He's talking about the church. One level at a time. 
think back 4,000 years ago when Job, the most tormented man in Scripture, said, I have made an agreement with my eyes. How can I look with lust at a virgin? I have made a covenant, an agreement with my eyes. Uh -uh, Because he knows that's where it starts. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart more than anything else because the source of your life flows from it. Over and over. Proverbs 23, child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, God's will for you is to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Sex isn't bad. It's good. It's God's gift. And then he gave us the vehicle in which to express it where we could bond together and experience the rushes together and the intimacy together and the spirit of it together to become one flesh with one another in marriage only. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each of one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I'm almost finished, but I want you to listen to just a little bit of this. I'm going to give you some things that I have heard over the years. Number one, this is myth number one, that porn is a victimless choice. Listen, if you think that your pornography is not going to hurt your marriage, you are nuts. And if you think that your pornography won't affect your future spouse, you are crazy. You won't won't have the ability to bond. That's why so many young people are so slow to marry. They're already bound to something else. It's the bonding hormone. It's why Scripture calls it a slave We're slaves. But Christ has set us free. Why would we remain a slave when Christ has set us free? Acting on pornography is a betrayal just the same way that adultery is. And there will always be repercussions to that relationship. We can only praise God to the degree that we have lamented. Myth number two. We need to focus on the addict and tell the wife what to do in order to help the addict. And then the marriage can be restored. It is so much more complicated than that. Her heart is damaged too. There is forgiveness and there is healing. But there has to be ministry to the wife as well. And wives, you need to understand something. As we deal with this as a church... You need to give the Lord plenty of time to heal you and your husband. Your husband, Scripture is clear, is not the enemy. But he's trapped by the enemy. Myth number three. A man won't turn to pornography if his wife would perform her wifely duties better. Listen, that's usually the myth from the woman. I want, I want you to be, I want, I've told a lot of you this already, but pornography almost never has anything to do with the wife. 
Most women find their value in that, in being a good wife or being, you know, whatever. I'm not going to be that, that graphic. But uh, if I were, you know, looked better or I looked like this or if I looked like those women or if I had done this differently, you know, my husband wouldn't have. It almost never has anything to do with that. What it does have to do, well, I've already said pornography is really very little about sex altogether. It's more about the pride and the greediness of our idolatry that can express itself that way in secret. Wives, you cannot take it personally. It is not a sin intended to hurt you. It is a trap that most men have given themselves permission for. One of the statistics that I found is that 86% of men in America look at pornography at least once a month. 86%. 51% of men in church. Which tells me, I mean, I don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? whatever reason the wife has to pay the consequences and she can become vengeful trying to control but no wife is to blame for her husband's pornography problem but she can be very supportive for his recovery myth number four almost finished if a husband stops using porn then his wife should just magically be over it pornography wasn't the problem the heart was and just because we expose what the problem is doesn't mean the heart is immediately fixed Romans chapter 1 talks about dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions flow from pride. Pride is the root of sexual sin. Pride is the problem. Whenever, whenever, uh, this, when it, whenever there is betrayal or distrust, there is a, a, a breach and if you think about the, the direct path from a husband to a wife or a wife to her husband, once there is, once there is a, a trust issue, uh, fellas, listen to me very close. I'm going to direct my attention to you for a minute. Once you've betrayed your wife, you'll never get it back. You never, you'll never, ever get it back. Uh, that's, that's, that's my experience. Uh, it's, it's, it's my research. You never, ever get it back. In other words, if your wife catches you doing something and you say, whoa, what did I do? I'm so sorry. 20 years from now, when she suspects that you've done something, you can't say, I would never. Oh, yes, you would. You did. That's when we say women get so historical. You mean hysterical? No, I mean historical. Because it never gets fixed. Much like a wound, a scar gets deeper and thicker in order to protect for the next time. Or a bone that breaks gets stronger and thicker in order to prevent a next break. That's exactly the way a relationship can forge as well. You may never get it back, but your body, fearfully and wonderfully made, has a way of forming a new bond. Stronger than the previous one. Stronger than the one that was naive. Stronger than the one that believed naively. There is a possibility that even through betrayal, although it is terrifying and terrible and angering, there is a possibility with the healing power of Jesus Christ that your heart can redirect itself around that wound 
And the Lord can be glorified in your marriage even in stronger ways than it was before. Don't give up. It ain't worth giving up. Jesus is better. Be patient. The wife needs to hear that trusting and forgiving are not the same thing. To trust again, we say, you've got to learn to forgive and forget. Why do you keep bringing this up? As often as they bring it up, fellas, you've got to be humble, which is the opposite of pride. If you want to be prideful and dig in your heels and say you need to leave me alone, that's proof that you're prideful which is proof that we're starting all over again and we know where we're going to head. Humility for the rest of our days. Humility is truly the remedy for every sexual sin. Placing ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ and therefore placing ourselves under the authority of the church and under the authority of our spouse and our family. That's where we find healing and favor with the Lord. To every grandmother. Well, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or think and imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ. Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To every lady in here, Jesus is better. To every man in here, Jesus is better. So put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand therefore. I want to shift gears for a second. And I just want to speak to you from my heart. One of the most common things that I counsel in secret is pornography. And I know that the question comes because it's very, very common. But brothers and sisters, that is not our identity. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. It is higher, richer, deeper. And so this morning, I just want to admonish each and every one of us to remember that Jesus is better. Remember who we are. Remember what we have from Christ and hijack the shortcut 
And the only way to do that is to humble ourselves before a forgiving and loving Heavenly Father. The first step is repentance. You cannot, you cannot overcome without repentance. Paul told Timothy when he was pastoring this church in Ephesus, which is where Paul is writing all of this immorality recovery to. He says to Timothy, the pastor of the church, that he needs to pray that God would grant them repentance and that they might turn away from their sin. Repentance, then recovery. You can't recover unless you're repentant. Repenting means to agree with God. And while we know sin is wrong, we're still agreeing with our flesh. We're still walking in the pathway of sin. Even though we know it's wrong and we feel guilty about it. And we pray about it. And every time we say, I will never do this again until the next time. Repentance means I'm going to agree with God and I'm going to walk in God's direction. You cannot do that by yourself. And you may not be able to do that with your wife. But you can do that with Christian brothers who have learned to hold themselves accountable to other Christian brothers. So several months ago, I began to talk with our deacon board and our staff, leaving, leaving no room for assumptions. And again, let me remind you, I'm not perfect. There's reasons why I know most of this stuff. I forgot who I was once. So I want you to know in your bulletin today is a list of all of our deacons and their cell phone numbers. Let me encourage you to call one of them first. They might be able to pray with you. I told them at our last meeting when we, talk, when we talked about this, I said, guys, are you sure? Because we don't usually push, you know, deacon cell phone numbers. What kind of church does that? The chairman of the deacon board said, then why are we here? That's what we do. And so I'm going to ask our deacons if they would stand up and our staff, if they would stand up where you are right now. For those of you who may not know who they are, I want you to know that you're not alone. And I want you to know that pornography is going to destroy you and it's going to take you so much further than you want to go. So if you need somebody to talk to, I would encourage you to find one of these guys today. Pull them aside and say, hey, can we talk? If you don't want to do it today, I get it. I have a, I have a hard and fast rule about sin. If your sin is private, it needs to be dealt with privately. If your sin is public, it needs to be dealt with publicly. We're not, we're not looking to create a, a ministry out of this. We're not looking to identify guys. But I want you to be strong in the Lord. Because He's better.
So if you want to text one of them later and say, hey, I need to talk, no matter when, they're available. But here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, let's talk, let's pray, and everything that you talk about with them, they're going to talk with me about. And then we're all going to sit down together and, and find a way to recover, to find help, to maybe find a, a group of men that, are, that will be able to hold each other accountable, a small group of guys who can learn to trust each other, and we can learn that this is every man's battle. But there is hope, and there is healing, and there is recovery, and there is Christ-likeness on the other side of this darkness. Ladies, we love you. And starting this coming Wednesday night, we're having a, a book study. My wife is going to be leading that. And it's going to be helping women pray for their husband. One of the things I've learned is Jesus said, pray for your enemies. You can't pray for people and be your enemy for very long. So we want our, we want our women, our, our wives, our grandmothers, our mothers committed to praying so that the heart can begin to reforge but you will never rise higher than your repentance. It can't just go away. If you need to talk with me directly, text me. If you need my number, text me. My number is everywhere, but if you need my cell phone number, text me. My intention is this week, if you need me, I'm going to be working through the night here. You can come. Nobody will be in the front office. Nobody will be in the hallway. There won't be any kids in the building. Nobody will know that you're coming to the building. Nobody will even know why you're coming to the building. And we can have prayer time together. Because we love you. And we love the River Valley. And if our church can't be strong, then how can we reach the River Valley? How can the River Valley make a difference? How can we be the peace givers? The peace Makers. I want us to be committed to this. And the worst part about all of this is it's Labor Day. So this isn't a Sunday morning sermon. This is a commitment to stand for marriage, to stand for purity, to stand in the gap for our families. All of our kids in this building won't have to fight this fight. We won't be silent anymore, dads. Not talking to your kids because you don't want to be a hypocrite. Not anymore. Tara, if you will throw this up on the screen too. I can't see the screen. I'm at a, screen I'm at a disadvantage. Uh, you don't have to do this right now, but I encourage you to. Your phones that are on silent. We've contracted with Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes is a ministry devoted to helping churches overcome pornography. Here you will join a community. You don't have to have a pornography problem to join this. It will prevent it in your home. This is a, this is a, a service that will actually, uh, a browser that you can go through that will help you Maintain, like Job did, a covenant with your eyes not to look upon any unclean thing. 
It also has an app on your phone that will guard your phone and your tablets as well. First month's on us. So if you'll text SET FREE to 777-8885, you will immediately get a text back with an invitation to sign up for that. Give it a shot and see if it doesn't help. Let me, tell, let me explain something to you, though. When it comes to accountability and all that, people can only be held accountable to the degree they want to be. So let me encourage you to fall in love with one another. Love one another. We can forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Grow together. Encourage Christ-likeness in one another. I just want you to know you're not alone. And if you need to deal with it, if you need to talk about it, you need to work through it, you got, you got men who are overcomers ready to walk alongside you. Not because we're better. <laughs> Not because we're better. But because Jesus is better. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And it is not clear in just one place. It's clear in every place what you expect of your people. So I pray, Lord, today your word is clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And certainly my heart is not condemning. Lord, if anything today is just one beggar telling another where there is bread. Lord, I pray that you would keep us humble. Lord, pray, I pray that our marriages would truly represent Christ and His church and our children, Lord, could launch from such a better, stronger foundation. I pray that you would use us as we lift one another up and encourage one another. Lord, that we would put to death those monsters in the dark. We would rise above our secrets into Christ-likeness. That we wouldn't play games any longer. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful for who you are and the resurrection power that we find in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, for those of us who are even Christians, we're aware of the resurrection, but we're not living in the power of it. So I pray, Lord, that you would...